0: You've got to be anyone in the world. Be don't, a not-bitch. Hello world, I'm mean, your girl. It's Misbehavior
1: t- 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 Journal Club. Yay. Welcome listeners to the Misbehavior Journal Club. I'm Amiel Marino, PhD, here with... Leah Crevitt. Bamf. And we are two scientifically trained and certifiably funny females bringing you the behind-the-scenes look at the latest neuroscience research with humor, schmooze, and humanity. Yeah, we are. So I'm getting paid to write neuroscience now.
0: Hey, mazel tov. I know. That is the dream, or a dream. It's your dream, and you're living it.
1: Hell yeah, tell me more. I'm working for a website called Lab Roots, and they're paying me per article, and I'm spending way too much time per article making Mm. these little crafted delicious things covering the latest research in either pharmaceutical or I just got put on the neuroscience beat. Nice. Yeah. So some of the things that I'm bringing to the show are related to topics that I covered in that other format. So I get to double dip. Uh, That is the dream. That's the universal dream. Yes, I'm so happy about that. The pharmaceutical stuff. Okay, did you ever study farm at all? I didn't take a farm.
0: Oh! (laughs) I TA'd a a neurofarm (laughs) course, does that count? (laughs) I learned a lot. And all the students asking you questions. Academia's not in trouble. Nope. (laughs) No, it's fine.
1: The blind leading the blind. The... Yep.
0: I'll, I'll, the people who can't even think of a good analogy on the spot leading the undergrads,
1: tell me more about pharma. Well, I know a particular system really well, the central nervous system, a little <laughs> bit of the peripheral nervous system. And when I started to cover pharmaceuticals, I realized very quickly that you are getting a different system. Every single time you're talking about a different drug. And so you have to familiarize yourself with multiple systems if you want to talk about drug discovery. I feel you
0: balking at how many systems there are <laughs> and how complicated each and every one is. And then pediatricians, it's a different system in a different language every few months. Uh, oh, it was Dr. Glaucom Flecken. In one of his YouTube shorts, he was defending pediatricians and pointing out how... <laughs> they need defending? They're often not taken seriously, either in an oh. informal way or in a financial way. And he specifically pointed out how difficult it is when your patients have just as many different and varied and complex systems as your adult patients, but they change mm-hmm. rapidly rapidly. Mm. Uh, yeah constantly growing mm-hmm. god damn kids
1: with their growing why is that part of it so now i'm constantly growing because i have to learn about liver cancer and then pancreatic cancer and Oof. Yeah, recently i'm very excited to get into a pancreatic cancer uh topic that is um i think it's the scariest of the cancers so i actually sought out the latest research to kind of like comfort myself knowing that people are working on this horrible okay. problem. Sure, yeah. yeah Ooh, uh
0: recommendation. Uh. Yeah. I worry that I've become the worst kind of person. Uh and that is a an underinformed splainer who's read like one thing and <laughs> is like, oh I know things. I know this one thing. <laughs> Basically Brian on Family Guy. I've been that's what it is. I've been listening to a lot of Family Guy while doing the dishes. And I've okay. absorbed the the gross similarities that I sometimes feel between me and Brian. So this oh,
1: is that's such an interesting character to relate to.
0: I hate it. It's the self-loathingist, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, this is not in service of sounding like a know-it-all. This is trying to pass on a genuine good tip. Stephen J. Gould has an article, uh, it's it's short. It's a short essay titled The Median Is Not the Message. It's nothing you don't know, it's stats one oh one, but it's putting Stats 101 in the context of being a human with a diagnosis, trying to figure out what Mm -hmm. might happen to you. Uh, It was about him uh, dealing with his own cancer and trying to suss out what the stats actually might indicate about his prognosis and how it's not the same as looking at the median. Mm -hmm. Hence the title. It's good reading recommendation for okay. all of our listeners?
1: Well, mostly the coverage that I've been doing is on you know successful medians that were discovered in terms of treatments or a rediscovery of smaller groups, subgroups within larger groups that that's where you see the significant difference. Mm. And that get, gets washed away when you accidentally lump them into bigger groups, such as Recently, I read a paper that was looking at hormone replacement therapy, and they found that it led to a decrease in cognitive decline, so a maintaining of cognition, but only if you had a specific gene, and that gene had to do with Alzheimer's. So variations in that gene are related to Alzheimer's and make it more likely for you to get Alzheimer's. But also, it makes it possible for this new treatment to work for you. Or, I'm sorry, not new, an already established, doesn't have to go through clinical trials treatment. God damn all these systems and their interactions. But well, I love the discovery of a subgroup, I yeah. think it really helps everything out. I, I would certainly agree. Also, uh, in news from Amiel, I no longer have access to journal articles through the University of Emory. I've lost it. What just happened in my head
0: is the sound that plays in Oregon Trail when someone dies just displayed. Just I'm so sorry about your fate. Welcome to the world of the, the, the Sci-Hub I Can Has PDF Underworld.
1: Welcome back, back, baby,
0: to to the the poor poor side of town.
1: I feel so poor. So, if you're a listener and an undergrad in an institution and want to be paid $20 a month for me to use your student ID, drop me a line. Oh my god. I will be your silent benefactor. (laughs) I'm not going to give any more details because,
0: although it's public, it seems like a thing that it would be a dick move to publicize, but... I know of someone, and this is one hundred percent true. uh, Someone who had a—I can't say it. I'm sorry. Let's cut that part out. What? The, the angel and the devil on my shoulder had a had a fight, and the angel won. But man, it was a close. Really, one. there's
1: no way to. The names have been changed to save. It's the... such a niche situation.
0: Okay, I'll tell you to say your curiosity, but you have to promise to... Uh,
1: no. no, no, I, I, can't, be tr- I okay. can't be trusted <laughs> with that. Neither can okay. I, almost.
0: <laughs> okay, sorry, keep going. What? Uh. So I picture you, like, walking down the street, black and white film, A tumbleweed rolls by and mm-hmm. it's raining simultaneously. A uh, <laughs> Model T drives past you and splashes you with water. Tumbleweed? Uh, I'm just trying to picture your academic loneliness uh, shut out of the world of the published. It hurts. Did you know this was coming, or did you just try to log in one day and the world said no?
1: Well, that would give away a little bit of how I was bulking the system myself. <laughs> oh, and so you lost I your hookup? I want to protect the uh, identity of the victims and those involved. <laughs> What a shady underworld. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. So I'm going to have to learn from you a little bit more about how to get full journal articles.
0: All right. It's very simple. SciHub. S-C-I hyphen
1: hub dot something. Great. Now it's se. So I went there and it seemed like it requested some numerical code that represents the paper and you plug it in. And then what it does is it tells you that's not available. Oh, Is there shit. a next step? <laughs> next step for
0: me is usually Twitter, the hashtag, I can has PDF. I, I can has i can has indeed one string of things yes and it's i can has with a z okay it's thank you 90 percent of the time it works every time <laughs> now the tricky part is the the videos supplemental videos there was a paper on squirrel cognition that i was looking up oh my god half a year ago fuck me with a what why
1: does that matter Um, that it happened because it
0: seems like last week and it's part of a project that i like have to be working on except i don't yeah passage of time Mm -hmm.
1: is a yeah bitch that's when the passage of time really hurts when you realize either a your body's falling apart or b you've made no progress (laughs) on a project (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay i'm with you now
0: i'm in good company but sorry to have you
1: (laughs) so what's new with you The last several episodes
0: were part of a conversation that we had where very shortly after we hung up, I realized I had made a very stupid mistake. You know how you get facts in your mind like that you learned yesterday and you're like, I feel fairly confident about my knowledge of this. And then you Mm -hmm. also have facts that you learned when you were like seven and (laughs) they may or may not have come from an accurate source or you
1: might have completely misinterpreted it mm, that's a big one yep Uh, okay so you've got these two types of facts what about it and
0: one of the most important parts of being a person with a brain is telling the two apart there's (laughs) (laughs) you can call it what did you mess up (sighs) There was no commercial conspiracy to rename rapeseed oil to grapeseed oil. There <gasps> is such a thing as grapeseed oil. There is also such a thing as rapeseed oil. What? And they're different. And I hate metacognition.
1: I think that... Yep. I think that that's an urban legend, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. a lot of people think this.
0: Yep. I was one of them, apparently why was it in my brain reasons i heard it somewhere half a lifetime you're, ago and there it sat being wrong you're in not my alone head. that that
1: is a urban legend you you are safe <laughs> from too much self-flagellation because a lot of people were uh, you, just told you that you can say that a lot of people were just told <laughs> a lot of things amiel <laughs> <laughs> That's no excuse for not doing your own research. So, what's the actual story? What, tell us in the audience, and so that they're not as stupid as you. <laughs> <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> you're
0: welcome, audience. Slash, I'm so sorry for all the time between that episode and and now. They were going um, around,
1: um, Harry, Harry, with
0: like <laughs> a bell <laughs> in the <town> square. <laughs> So there is an oil that you can buy at the grocery store and then go, hey, hey, it doesn't say rapeseed on the bottle, but there is rapeseed in it. Um, That's canola Mm -hmm. oil. It's made from a very specific flavor of rapeseed. And uh, rapeseed and grapeseed, very different,
1: different Mm -hmm. plants so it looks like Um, canola oil is after scientists got their hands on rapeseed they made some changes to improve it they decided to rename their new version of rapeseed right yeah that is what we're going with right now and that's as firm a stance as i'm gonna take about anything ever and that is our corrections corner I want everyone mm, to know that mm, Leah mm. is drinking her drink out of a glass measuring cup. Okay. It's coffee. When you when you say it like that, it makes it sound like <laughs> <laughs> some martini. From oh, Powell. you mean that's not canola oil nope. in there?
0: Nope, just the oil that came from the teat of a cow and the 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 bean of oh my coffee. God. But corrections corner is not fully done. I have a half what? correction. I overcharacterized the extent of sherrington's dualism uh, a lot of people mistook him for a dualist His views, as one might expect, were complex <laughs> and thought out a lot and and oversimplified throughout history so belated apology to sherrington you understood that we're made of stuff more than
1: I give you Yay. credit for. I'm sure his Yay. estate will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> Lord Sherrington. Time for shared announcements. We might say offensive, crazy things that prevent career advancement. Even so, you get the latest 20 episodes for free wherever you download your podcasts. But so Lee and I can sleep at night. Our stupidity has an end date. Older episodes are filed away where only those that truly love us can get them for five bucks. So thank you for even just considering making The Journal Club something that you were going to support because we educate, entertain or discuss research.
0: Yay. Sorry. Goddamn. And 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 you know what? When you pay for episodes, what? you pay for quality content like that. What a what a back yes. and forth. Those sparks just oh,
1: flying rapid fire. She says a
0: bunch of stuff, I say cool. It's like
1: watching ping pong. Metal on metal. Screeching. <laughs> What I think sparks, you know, like I think of <laughs> things like grinding with too much friction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you have one more thing you want to tell us about. What is shmoo? What isn't a shmoo?
0: A shmoo is many things. It tastes like chicken if cooked one way, steak if cooked another way. They lay eggs. They give milk. They don't like give milk. They slurp out milk magically. Uh, they give butter. They're a cartoon creature. Ah, uh, Huh. In what cartoon? Lil Abner, which ran from 1934... Yep, 1934 to 1977, starting in the Depression. And um, the schmoo was introduced in 1948 or nine. One of those two. And it's shaped Kind of like
1: a little pear or a gourd. Cool. I had no idea about this thing and I'm looking at it. Yeah, it is shaped very much like a pear and the face that has no nose, which is very popular nowadays for cartoons. No noses or like a line (laughs) that suggests a nose. The face is on the pointy part and almost like rabbit like legs on the fat part of the pear.
0: Good characterization. Cool, 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 cool. And it's also shaped like a yeast cell that's looking to fuck. What? Um, So there's a a very particular shape that yeast takes on when it decides that it's not going to go it
1: alone this time. It's going to reproduce with a buddy. (laughs) It's going to find a friend. Kind of like how I wear uh, fancy underwear when I'm making sweet, sweet love with a partner, but I'm wearing who knows what when I'm masturbating.
0: If it's underwear that you secreted, <laughs> then yeah, always. <laughs> it's like um, using your head hair as as kind of pseudo clothes or a pseudo mm. covering. Or... That's
1: as close as we can get.
0: <laughs> uh, you know how you think that you've thought of all the objects that there kind of are in the world. No, yeah, like I'm
1: sure there are several objects. That no, I that is but... not a universal experience <laughs> held by many people.
0: Well, Okay, maybe I should frame it like this. Have you ever heard of an object that made you go, Oh, my concept of objects just got stretched a little bit. Like the cytoskeleton of a yeast cell that's turning into a schmoo. All right. Well, I, I did.
1: So it's a cartoon, but it just looks like a yeast cell. Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
0: Okay. So when they were looking under the microscope and they're like, this yeast cell is growing a little... I'm sorry, guys. It's a boner. This yeast cell is growing a little protrusion. Uh Uh-huh. Extension. To be fucker. Someone looked at it and said correctly, that fucker looks like a schmoo. Uh-huh. It's one of the low-hanging fruits when you think of, like, cute, fun, little scientific pop culture connections. Mm. Because the shmoo wasn't just in that 43-year-running comic strip. It was also in uh, Scooby-Doo, the the old version, and on merch and on MASH. It's a fun little shape that, you know, took the world by storm and is familiar to old people. Okay. Um, But also, like, it's a fascinating commentary on society. Because the whole point of it is they bring such abundance... Uh, and remember, this started in the 40s, just after everyone was super hungry and war-weary. When you said it brings abundance? So they poop out eggs, they slurp out milk, Ew. they give butter. <laughs> their eyes can be used for buttons, and their <laughs> whiskers can be used for toothpicks. Okay, direct quote from one of the strips is, when you look at a schmoo as though you'd like to eat him, he dies of sheer happiness. And then you can cook them up and it'll taste like chicken or steak or whatever. And so there's all this, like, nobody wants to work anymore because they can just get what they need from the schmooze. Uh And pretty ladies aren't dating guys they don't want to date just for a meal because they got schmooze at home. We gotta stop that. society. (laughs) Yeah, society is up fucking ended. Like knowing this context makes the relationship between the, the cartoon shmoo and the yeast shmoo so much richer at a time when so much of biology is fighting for resources. What if there was a science shmoo who brought all of the material things that you need? What would it bring? How would that change scientific society? If, if there was a lab shmoo that just gave you yeah. all the pipettes you needed. And its it, it, its whiskers could be used for pipette tips, and it uh, salivated PBS, and it cried from <laughs> aldehyde and it pissed <laughs> ethanol. <laughs> like, uh-huh. what would it give, and how would it change scientific society? You know? Mm.
1: Okay. So the dive into the yeast lookalike was... People who research yeast had adopted this as a mascot of their own. Kind of, yeah. Just aesthetically,
0: not in the context of the schmoo brings you things. Okay. So yeah, I I did not expect that at all. I was just looking for pictures of schmooze that I could use to to cut out in yellows and purples and blues and other hues. How are you?
1: How do you dos Hey! Let's get started into notable news. We're gonna talk about some notable news. In this segment, we're going to briefly present a number of noteworthy events or findings from the world of science. Science, 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 science Yeah, we are. So I'm gonna start us off. This article was published in Cell, Stem Cell. <laughs> the title is Artificial Extracellular Matrix Scaffold of Mobile Molecules Enhance Maturation of Human Stem Cell Derived Neurons. And that sounds like a confusing mess of stuff that will make so much more sense once I'm done that I'll say it again and you'll be like, oh, I know exactly what that means. And you'll feel so smart. It's out of Northwestern University. The first author is Alvarez and the last author is Kiskinis or Kiskinis. Kiskinis? 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 It's a cute, it's a really cute name. Because it makes me want to kiss them. Oh, sorry. Kiskinus.
0: I I want to validate your feelings while also not having them myself. Well, no, that's not <laughs>
1: to validate feelings. You don't <laughs> need to also have them. That is not a requirement. That explains so much. The author's name is Kiskinus, and it had major contributions from uh, the second to last author, Samuel I. Stoop. So... Imagine trying to learn about human physiology, but you're only able to study infants. For years, that's what cellular molecular neuroscientists have attempted to do with current stem cell culturing techniques. They tried to culture infants? Yeah, they smashed them down and then they smeared them across (laughs) a nutrient-rich surface. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh uh Mm -hmm. They got so many letters. (laughs) And that's why people hate scientists.
0: Did you know that the
1: B in IRB stands for
0: babies?
1: (laughs) We were able to get stem cells to differentiate, to turn into neurons, but the neurons that they were able to differentiate in kind of stayed in this immature status and and they tended to even clump together. They didn't spread naturally across a surface that was nutrient-rich like our good old babies used to. (laughs) So that's a problem when you want to study diseases that happen during adulthood and you want to look at adult-like neurons. So I'm going to be doing a mix
0: this episode
1: of of not talking very much about
0: this particular paper because I do not have an informed opinion about it, But also talking kind of a lot about the general practices of coaxing stem cells into being brain-type cells when they grow up. Uh Uh-huh. Why is that? Because that was one of my gigs at the University of Minnesota. Oh. Yep. Oligodendrocyte progenitor cells are cells that, when they grow up, will become oligodendrocytes and myelinate neurons. Mm -hmm. They have a lot in common, lineage-wise, with neurons— And so this is going to be funny because their goal here in this paper is to grow neurons. Whereas in our case, that was our fail state. That was our like, God damn it, neurons again. Okay. I've got neurons in my soup. Oh, that's another thing. Also, uh, the neurospheres, they look a lot. What's a neurosphere? Oh, it's a clump of cells that's floating in medium. Shit, are they neurospheres when they land or are they neurospheres when they float? Okay, so what you do is you have uh induced pluripotent stem cells or other stem cells s- sitting on a plate, like attached, living their lives on a surface with with liquid swooshing over them, and then at some mm-hmm. point, uh, they lift up and they become these organoid bodies and they float. They do that for a bit, and as the soup you feed them differs, they become a little more neuroy, a little more neuronically inclined. And uh, those are they form neurospheres, which floating in the clearish, yellowish medium looks
1: exactly like microscopic motes balls. Oh, yeah, but not a natural state, not something that occurs when you're actually growing in a body, right?
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of floating in
1: <laughs> pure liquid. the The nervous system likes to form a different kind of matzo ball, called a brain. <laughs>
0: forbidden matzah ball the wrinkliest eh. matzah ball of them all yeah and so I'm I'm intimately acquainted with the forces that are put on these cells at various stages of, of culture and um, they're not easy to standardize like they're done by people what year were you
1: doing this work uh, 2014 to 2015 okay so that's right when they started to be able to because 2013 is when the research came out that was able to transition from a skin cell to a stem cell. Did your lab do that work? Or another way of doing stem cell research in a neuroscience lab is to use incredibly infant or preterm neurons from the brain of a mouse or rat. Yeah,
0: we worked with induced pluripotent stem cells, but I think... I think the capability, like it, it wasn't a completely France bank and cut an edge. Oh my
1: god, it's the future. So, where did you get your cells from, Max? <laughs> Is that a company or
0: somebody's name it's in the, your the laboratory? The guy on the fourth floor with the cells. <laughs> he'd go, okay. "Hey, can I get a file? And he'd say, "Sure." Um, no, let me think. Let me think. Let me. Th- yeah, we had a we had a big stock. That had come to us. Shh. Fuck you, Amiel. Wow. Okay. Now I should know this. Hold on. Uh, Yes.
1: Matzo ball soup. That's that's all you had to know. This group has developed a new culturing technology that was inspired on the findings from that Samuel I. Stoop lab. His group had optimized a synthetic and therapeutic environment using nanofibers. What they designed was the actual molecules that made up the nanofibers. So what it ended up being was each molecule was amphiphilic, which means that one side was polarized and the other side wasn't. So the hydrophobic end would point inwards and at the opposite end of the molecule would present to the extracellular environment various therapeutic signaling peptides. So these like little treats for neurons to come across and find. these peptides encourage the health of the neurons. So when the hydrophobic end points in and the peptide end faces out, you can either form like a ball in a solution or a matrix of agar gel in a plate, or how they were able to form them is they formed tubes, Long tubes in which the outside of the tube was made up of bazillion of these particular molecules. Does that make sense? Yes, I'm th-
0: okay. Describing them as treats now makes me wonder why I've never used that as an analogy before. Um, <laughs> yeah, for like
1: neurotrophic for like signaling. Growth factors uh-huh. or something. Yeah. Yeah, they're Just little little treats. <laughs> So these nanofibers end up looking like long fuzzy caterpillars because of these peptide stuff that sticks out and especially because the peptides moved around because the most important part of these molecules that I haven't mentioned is the hinge that is in the center of the molecule. The hinge of the center allows that peptide end to move and mimic a biological motion. And the more motion means there's more chances for that treat peptide offered by the nanostructure to properly engage with neurons receptors. This is kind of counterintuitive because you would think, okay, when you're lost in the woods, the advice is just stay put. Don't go wandering further because if somebody's looking for you, they'll find you better if you stay put. This is exactly the opposite. The receptors on the surface of neurons rapidly move around that surface. And it turns out if you want to engage them with these these peptide treats, it helps if the peptide treats are moving rapidly around too. It increases the chance that they'll end up lining up. Listeners, what Amiel was doing with her hands right now was extremely
0: illustrative. <laughs>
1: um, and it was great. She was waving
0: them I around. I treated
1: the uh, wrist as the hinge part. And then my fingers were the peptide end sticking out. And I flipped it back and forth. And more important than that was the
0: the having each hand be a different molecule. And the, the more they move around and the closer they are to each other, the more they interact. That sounds so obvious, but it's not mm-hmm. to no. many students and to many people. Like, I don't know how much dumber I would be if I didn't have access to the kinds of animations we've had access to mm-hmm. for the past, like, 15 yes. years. This is all about shit moving around until it bumps into each other, and maybe they st- stick together, maybe they don't. I'm babbling now, but this is macromolecular crowding! <laughs> Just. Uh-huh, yeah.
1: Yeah, movement is a key feature in all biological processes. Nothing is sitting still. So, why would you have your nanostructures just stay put? Apparently, moving them around makes them better. This stoop laboratory took those nanofibers and they were like liquid, but then they injected into the spinal cord of paralyzed mice. Doing that, then it becomes a gel inside next to the spinal cord, and it encouraged the regrowth and recovery of the animal after the injury. And here, they decided to put those same nanofibers in plates to help neurons grow there. Love
0: this. all of this. It's ringing a lot of bells. Um, at Minnesota, we used spinal cord injured rats, and toward the end, I would help out with uh, assessing the rat's recovery after administration mm-hmm. of different cells that uh, were exposed to different soups. That was a test that we did in a kiddie pool, so you would put an injured rat in and then take various varieties of notes
1: on how it's doing and what it's mm-hmm. doing. Um, That's really tough research, like, emotionally.
0: It's quite something. I'd say the <laughs> the worst part of that was dealing with these athymic rats with an under, a massively underdeveloped thymus um, yeah nude rats are, are quite something to thymus is just look first. up nude rats anytime someone asks you to send nudes look up pictures of nude rats nude mice send them on over nudes 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 for everyone but they
1: got oh a thymus an organ that's part of the lymphatic system in which T lymphocytes grow and multiply yeah, so their
0: immune yes. systems are all jacked up, and so they're uh-huh. easier to transplant stuff into, depending on the stuff. Depending uh, <laughs> on You know, technical, very high-level technical very discussion technical we're stuff. having. But every mm-hmm. single time I see a kiddie pool, I think of spinal cord injured rats, and there are a couple kiddie pools at work. And every single time I walk by them, um, it's not as bad as the, the foam pool noodles that we have at work, which every time I walk by those, I think of spotted hyena clitorises, but um, it's it's still not great. So that's my contribution to this discussion. Everything I see reminds me of her.
1: <laughs> Man, I'm fun to go to water parks with. I'm going to send you a link right now of the nanofibers. Love it. Yes. They'll show you various different hinges. They tried multiple different ways to get this thing to dance. And depending on how they designed the hinge, it was better or less able to engage with the receptors.
0: There's a lot of valine or valine. Why would would it be called valine? There's a lot of valine just in time for Valentine's Day when happy prop- Va- Va- valentine fuck <laughs> what would it be you said happy valentine's day oh thank you leah <laughs> you're always welcome and furthermore one of the codons for valine ends in a u so it does fit well into a roses are red violets are blue thing if only i could find it so yeah loving these caterpillars
1: Oh, yeah. So they do look like caterpillars, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So the next step was embedding them in a culture's surface. And what they saw is that they were highly capable at delivering their therapeutic cargo to the growing neurons. Stoop explained how they, quote, confirmed that neurons coated with our nanofibers achieve more maturity than other methods, and mature neurons are better able to establish the synaptic connections that are fundamental to neuronal function. These were acting more like not only mature neurons, but ones in vivo, so inside actual animals. Enhanced synaptic signaling, increased electrical activity, greater dendritic arborations, and less clumps. Less matzo balls.
0: (laughs) When you think about the massive differences between culture and, and, and a living being, it's fucking phenomenal that any of this shit is anywhere near in vivo states. Truly impossible to behold.
1: This has uh, implications for research that is in vitro that is on plates, but also in patient therapy So you can take the skin cell of a patient with uh, ALS or Parkinson's disease, and then you can convert it into an induced pluripotent stem cell, culture them to a level of maturity that has not previously been possible, and use those to transplant healthy cells back into a patient with a disease. It's... Borderline
0: miraculous, and I'm just going to spell it out for any listeners who don't happen to be familiar. The reason you would want to do that is that then you don't have to deal with immune
1: reactions to a Rando's cells. That's Totally. Yes, you nailed it. Now, actually applying those mature neurons is difficult, oh. depending on which disorder you have. Oh, is it? You know, like there's this skull that is kind of in the way whenever you want to get into the brain. So those types of strategies should be the next step for probably other laboratories that are more on the cutting edge of delivering therapeutic treatments. It's a complicated relationship
0: between the, <laughs> the cell monkeys and the, the injectorers.
1: All right, so uh, the proper last author, the (laughs) Kiskinis, okay, (laughs) explained that, quote, for the first time, we've been able to see adult-onset neurological protein aggregation. So that's a disease state in the stem cell-derived ALS patient's motor neurons. That's pretty great. This is going to allow them to then figure out what causes those protein aggregations?
0: From the distance at which I have viewed this paper, um, I love it. I love work that takes the physical environment in which cells grow seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like studying cells on a, on a flat plane is going to lead you to study some weird cells, uh, studying mice on a flat plane is going to lead you to study some weird mice, you know? Like mice don't mm. live on a, in a ranch. They live on a ranch <laughs> where they climb and dig. And cute. Very cute. Yeah, on the fly. So yeah, you, you can get a lot done in the world of the two-dimensional, but you are going to miss a lot, as with any model system, and the people exploring the 3D and the... Hug a biophysicist. That's, that's what I want to say is hug a biophysicist today. Bonus schmoo fact they reproduce asexually which is ironic cuz cuz yeast that's, sex, that's what yeast right. do yeah another yeasty connection so like asexual schmoos some... are a model for sexual yeast like
1: oh because of the shape you mean
0: yeah like yeast yeah. are asexual except for when they form schmoos which are asexual but not the yeast kind
1: the cartoon kind <laughs> uh, what is reality Oh my gosh. So you're bringing something to the show, Leah. Tell us all about it. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I am. Again, I've been trying to talk less
0: out of my ass about things Ooh. I'm not taking the time to put in the work to describe thoroughly. So we're going to keep it light here with some surprisingly well documented talks at the Animal Behavior Conference that's going on right now. What's the name of the conference? Oh, Amiel, you scamp. You absolute scoundrel. What? That's a very basic question! And it has not come up. It's an animal behavior Twitter conference. That would explain why it has such a strong Twitter presence. The Animal Behavior Society's second global Twitter conference. It's the conference of the hashtag AnimBehave2023. So the whole thing takes place on Twitter? At first... I thought it was the usual deal where there's a
1: conference happening in MeetSpace, And then there's a hashtag associated with the conference and they encourage you to use it. Yeah. At at first, I was just like,
0: wow, what an exceptionally well-documented conference. (laughs) Like, all of these talks have really... Well-resourced threads, and I mm. can't believe they're reporting it. They really put the effort into reporting. No, it's a conference on Twitter, because we live in the future, and it's it's going great. Awesome. Yeah. This is the Animal Behavior Society, uh, the group responsible for the journal Animal Behavior, with a U. With a fancy U. Uh-huh. Animal Behavior. Wait a minute. No, it's the animal behave i am at animbehave 2023.com behavior no you at the <laughs> top of that page is a little logo with a little bird with a little brain tweeting a little song to other little birds who are listening and it says <laughs> animal behavior twitter 2023 behavior with a u i don't the brits got in there or, or i don't the know aliens. which way is up <laughs> I have never felt so adrift trying to describe such a minor and insignificant detail.
1: So that Listener, you don't know how much time we've cut out of us trying to figure out the name of the conference (laughs) and who's throwing it.
0: Because these haven't been important details to me. I just care about the cats and the cows, man. Yes, give me the cats and cows, please. (laughs) So if you had to guess about how many cattle there are on the planet...
1: No wrong answers. Okay. Just, yeah, I would go 2.5 million. No, 1.7 million. Very close. Yeah. It is one
0: to two billion. So you got the number and the alien <laughs> rate. not
1: close.
0: You got, of all the characters in there, let's see. You got uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, <laughs> 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You got 90% of the characters right. You were t- <laughs> works on the SATs too, right? (laughs) Geneticists take note. (laughs) This is a really good example of how just a tiny little change can can be quite significant. Yeah, one to two billion cattle on the planet. I love to talk about their estrous cycles and their wanderings and their urinary and fecal depositions, Mm -hmm. but... It comes yeah. with its limits you know they're they're by definition not free ranging they're
1: what do you mean not free ranging means something different in, in
0: cattle this was a study of cattle that go wherever the fuck they want in a in in a national park all right and so they associate with whomever the fuck they want ie in mixed sex groups a lot of domestic cattle research is done in single sex groups mm-hmm. uh. And so you don't get to see a lot of the cool things that they saw here. So uh, what I'm now going to describe is work done by George Hodgson, among lots and lots of other people, on which cows or
1: bulls groom which other cows or bulls. I didn't know that they groomed each other. That's a behavior I don't even know about. Is it through, it must be through some sort of rubbing. They don't have digits. So how do mice groom each other? Oh, it's licking, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, and okay. I've never seen... Ka- I, it's rubbing a tongue. Again. <laughs> it's all rubbing. It's when rubbing I say rub, the way rub my down. clit, it can be either with your fingers or a tongue. I am <laughs> I d- not distinguishing. Don't aren't, make a face when you though? think about my clit. You should be smiles and glee right now. Um, no, I'm thinking about language.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Okay and after that i'm thinking about never mind um so cattle i've seen videos of cattle licking other mammals but it's <laughs> been cat uh cats because it turns yeah, yeah yeah
1: they're like unusual friends videos that are synonymous with modern internet usage <laughs> truly one of the best kinds of rabbit holes
0: but yeah cattle lick cats deer lick cats like a lot Apparently, cattle also lick each other. There are sex differences, and there are hierarchical differences at play in terms of who grooms whom. Do you want me to give you the
1: highlights? Yeah, and I want to know uh, how this uh, might relate to neuroscience, too. All right.
0: So, uh, so everybody gets groomed. Not everybody grooms, apparently. If you're female and you're dominant, you're more likely to receive grooming than if you're okay. a sub. Sub-female. Doesn't really matter for males. You just kind of get groomed if you're a dude. By females and males? Uh, fantastic question. Males groom females more than other males. Okay. But females
1: just groom everyone equally. So when you break it down, just like emotional support. I don't know. Females are... Or tastiness. Just, okay... Just like human females have to offer more emotional support in our society than (laughs) males do, so do female cows have to do more of the average amount of licking. I didn't get a breakdown of who does more grooming. Well, I'm just just thinking if you're grooming males and females, not that you're going to do twice as much grooming, but it might be higher than somebody who... Somebody. A cow... (laughs) that only grooms one type of cow. Actually, yeah, if you're gonna frame this in terms of emotional support, it does kind
0: of shake out like the human world, because females groom both sexes about the same. Males (laughs) groom females more than other males. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to put data in his mouth, but it sounds like males are getting groomed the least. Just like dudes Mm. are getting checked in on the least in human society.
1: Yeah, very fun little
0: connection. <laughs> However, I don't know if I can specifically say that about about the data. I don't know if overall males were getting groomed less. The paper associated with this work will be coming out soon. So if you want to get a Google Scholar alert set up for Hodgson cattle owl grooming, watch out
1: for cow papers. So you mentioned your interest in pharma research, and you've brought up before you know, the amount that sheep mark their territory or mark with P and what we can learn from that and goats and estrus. So what type of connection to neuroscience does this paper make you think about?
0: Uh, So allogrooming was a major uh, social behavior, the neurobiological
1: Mm -hmm. correlates of which I was part of studying. So what do you think in the brain could drive who they're grooming? Sure. Great question. I would first
0: ask a monkey person. They tend to care a lot more about the neurobio of grooming and sex differences and hierarchical differences. There's another thread in this very uh, conference about the social networks of macaques and tuberculosis infection.
1: Yeah, they're going to spread more. So it has implications in uh, disease. And yeah, the the relationship
0: between who interacts with whom and who gets exposed to what is very complex. And I, I think the upshot of that thread was that... Individuals who you would think would transmit more disease to each other didn't necessarily. And mm. to what extent do stress levels and dominance factors and immune system bullshit factor into that? Uh, we're made of stuff. Nothing in life is simple. <laughs> yada yada yada. You know the drill. <laughs> Rich field. Go into it if that's your thing. I'm gonna go ahead and stay out of it.
1: All right. And you also found another thread on shrews, right? Yeah. So have you ever walked past a squirrel and gotten a talking to? Rarely, but yeah, a little (laughs) chatter, a little like... Yeah,
0: a little like, where is this giant, giant bird that must be producing these unholy sounds? Oh, wait, it's a squirrel? So it feels perhaps irresponsible, but fairly intuitive to, to suggest that when that squirrel is making that unholy sound at you, it is not
1: pleased at your presence. Uh, it's an unpleasant sound. And we already know through uh, social behavior in animals that really the quality of the sound can line up with its intent. It's such an incredible coincidence
0: when those happen to line up. It's, it's no. spectacular. <laughs> it's not a coincidence sure but there are there are so many counterexamples that it makes the ones where you do get homologous or orthologous uh, relationships between you and y- your reaction to vocalizations and a squirrel's reaction to vocalization it's it's like oh hey things lined up yay i get what you're trying to say that it's not totally random and it's not a coincidence but It happens enough that an animal's like, well, I was making a nice sound. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah,
1: this is going to attract all of the mates. (laughs) You want to string the animal's neck. (laughs) I actually have a science tangent. Do you mind? Please. Okay, audience. There was going to be something on cats that got cut last minute for reasons that were not Fully explained, and that's fine. But I have a cat thing that I can interject right here. Hooray! This was a study back in 2009 looking at cat vocalizations. Early in the study, they captured the sound of cats while they were either begging for food or not begging for food. And during the experiment, they were playing those sounds back to humans. And humans were capable of determining which one's sounded more aggressive or aggravating or annoying as the begging calls. So these scientists then were like, well, what's different about the calls? Like on the spectrogram of sound, what frequency? And they isolated the frequency that was associated with this irritation aspect. When they did that, they were able to, using computer models or magic... (laughs) Remove that irritating grating, and people would rate the sounds just like it wasn't a begging call. When you look at the frequency, I believe it was between 300 and 600 hertz. That is the same frequency that babies cry at when they're in distress. So it's not as though cats are hearing babies and copying. <laughs> All right,
0: that's that's what you do if you want that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But they're taking advantage of this thing that they know gets the attention of their owners, perhaps. We don't know if it's learned or if this is something that occurs in feral cats as well. I love this line of work. I love it. I love it. I love Mm -hmm. it. Specifically, it does a lot of the
0: work for me in setting up this study. Uh, Awesome. The one on shrews. Mm -hmm. All right. Go for it. Yeah, they, they wanted to know... How the fuck do we know what's happening in a shrew's heart of hearts when it's producing various <laughs> vocalizations? Uh, how might you tame a shrew's heart, perhaps? <laughs> oh my god, that's actually, okay, that's so fucking perfect, because at the end of Taming of the Shrew, What's-Her-Face gives that speech about how great it is to be a- Julia Stiles. <laughs> Her, in the movie it's pretty unambiguous she likes the dude but in the play she gives a speech that's like hey it's it's great to be a lady who's a lady and not a bitch and it's so it's so important and it's just the best thing if you've got to be anyone in the world be don't a not bitch it's that's just that's top notch I'm into it that's great so those are the words on the page verbatim okay <laughs>
1: She's reading, okay.
0: <laughs> and how you deliver that varies depending on what production you're in and what choices you've made and what your interpretation of the words are. So you can be yeah. like, yes, she really... Make
1: her a lesbian. Make her not a lesbian.
0: Yeah, want- there's one production in which the whole thing it's just because the whole she's got um uh genitals in her mouth um and what which genitals they are you know that's another interpretive choice oh. so in the chicago school my
1: partners can never tell what i'm saying when i'm brushing my teeth or i have their genitals in my mouth but i bet if i dated a dentist i was just gonna say yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh Now I'm just, yeah, I'm hearing
0: the the You'll Be a Dentist song in my head. In a whole new light.
1: Girl, do, 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 do. You'll be a dentist soon. (laughs) That one? (laughs) (laughs) That's not the one. God damn it. Science. She's turning red, and she's <laughs> holding back laughter, so it sounds like I'm not funny at all, because she's not laughing, but she is, people, she is. I'm sorry,
0: yes, this is my vocal out. Any, anytime you hear <gasps> silence, assume silent laughter. That's how that's how interactions work. Holy laughter. <laughs> yes. Um, And so, you can hear the same words, the same basic auditory stimuli of that... The lady at the end of *Timid the Shrew*, spewing out syllables. But what is the intent? What is the state behind those words? Mm-hmm. You you have to work harder to figure that out, just like you do with the actual shrews, with the with the big ears and the fur. All right, tell me more. So, uh, had some shrews, Etruscan shrews, the the best of the shrews, um, mm-hmm. interacting with each other. Doing various things that seemed to indicate that they're having a good time or having a less good time being shrews in the same space, and uh, tried to correlate vocalization types with uh, behaviors. Would you like to hear some of the call types that they've got? Sure. Wee, wee, wee,
1: wee. I'm doing my impress- <laughs> I'm helping on. I'm going to put it in anyway. I'm loving this. Ah. Oh my gosh. I can think of songs that go along <laughs> with each one of those different vocalization types. And this reminds me very much so of my graduate student work where I was using these uh, spectrograms to see the calls and chirps made by baby mice. Tell me more. Either get specific with... I would love to, because I have officially taken all of the comments that I got on my submitted manuscript, addressed them, and sent it back. So we're going to find out really soon (laughs) if I get published. I've decided I'm going to have a party. Yeah. Because... None of my friends here know that you don't throw a big fucking party <laughs> when you make a paper. I think you do. I think that's <laughs> You usually like open a wine or go out to a fancy This is gonna be a blazing party. Nice. It's gonna be paper and science themed. Of course. However you interpret that <laughs> is up to you on what you decide to wear. Alright, I dig it.
0: Someone's showing up as a as a mouse pinky someone else you can show up as a famous
1: scientist i suppose you could make some sort of outfit using paper i'll have like paper hats <laughs> that people can wear That's so good i'll definitely use old printouts of papers because who needs the old printouts of papers anymore also i'm planning on taking some of my old posters and origami them or making those like you know how you can make links with yeah. paper Yeah. I'm gonna do that, but big with my with my poster. Tear it up. Get her, it's all done. Beautiful. Done. There should be more I'm, rituals around that period. I definitely my laboratory was a bunch of computational neuroscientists, <laughs> so it was very dry. Engineers. Practical and literal. And I was this weird outlier. But what we did do that I appreciated was open a bottle of champagne every single time there was a paper written. So definitely going to do that myself. Excellent. And when you pop open that
0: bottle of champagne, is it going to evoke auditory. What?
1: (laughs) It's going to attract every shrew within a two mile (laughs) radius. Thank you for allowing me to to interject. Let's let's uh talk more about the shrew sound. I can't believe you buried the lead on that paper. Mazel fucking tub. That is oh, huge. No. I just I fingers crossed, I'm so close. I really hope they let it in.
0: Yes. God, I hope you get it. I hope you get it. I hope I get it. How many papers do they need? How many boys?
1: How many girls? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so that, those are auditory stimuli of which we know the socio-emotional correlates. And so, as it turns out, our shrew calls, if we work at it, which they did. And by they, I mean a group of people involving heavily uh, the tweeter of these data, a grad student mm-hmm. at the University of Veterinary Medicine, Hanover, Alexandra langehennig Peristenadu. So Yeah. They uh, just did some basic, and by I mean basic in the best of ways, Uh, basic, like basic versus clinical, just like, let's figure out, let's get a grip on what the
1: fuck is going on.
0: You could, um, you could.
1: I've had to describe this to people who aren't familiar with uh, scientific research. Basic research is when you're trying to understand how something works versus clinical research where you're trying to cure something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like in both cases, you set up experiments so that when the data come back, no matter what they tell you, your response is good. Now we know that's what we wanted to do is know things and we we know things now. So good for us. (laughs) But in clinical research, there still is a twinge of sadness. If the thing you learn is that that thing doesn't cure a thing you're like i'm not supposed to care about the results but damn it okay we don't mm. have the one that cures the thing oh no. we didn't cure
1: pancreatic oh. cancer damn it that being said i found
0: myself getting like mad at my cells and isn't the right way to des- describe it but like <laughs> again this is basic research shouldn't be invested in whatever the yeah. answer is you just want to see it there's no reason mm. my hypothesis should be the hypothesis it's you 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 posit it so that you're like, it could be another thing. It's the constant
1: knife wounds we receive from research. It's such
0: a stupid ego thing. And it's so pernicious and so difficult to escape, no matter how disciplined you try to be. It's it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Uh, Human frailty and our (laughs) extreme discomfort when we hear we're wrong. (laughs) So much so that we redesign the Mm -hmm. world so that we are Mm -hmm. right. Like, why would the... F-
0: yeah, yep. So this gets us closer to having any idea how a shrew's vocalizations correlate with its behaviors. And we learned that there are call types like chirping that tend to happen more when good things are happening, depending on your... De- socio positive. I was going to say, depending on your definition of good things. <laughs> like, no physical interaction is a chirp-heavy state, which for me is a good contexts they're rich and varied and now we know more about the contexts in which calls happen uh you hear screeching or screeching and screaming hey amel if you had to guess whether screeching is at... socio negative <laughs> you got it on the the pink wet nose yeah
1: so, the conclusion slide that both of us, I think, are looking at right now on Twitter for this whole thread has a picture of the babies. Oh, that's truth. not mine. And the babies are. Yeah, pink, the pinkies. Naked, weird, fetal things. And I was on Reddit the other day. There's a Reddit thread called, What is this thing? And somebody posted a picture of a newly born mouse Mm. rat could have been a fucking squirrel depending on the size of it and i could only imagine how terrified he would be if you've never seen that before and then you find it in the middle of your living room
0: (laughs) yeah especially squirrels big eyes big alien eyes yeah like still buried under the skin yeah
1: It was one of the times that I actually knew what the thing was. On what is this thing? I immediately looked to see when the posting was made, and it was like 19 hours ago. And I was like, "Somebody's got it." I kept on scrolling. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fun thought experiment.
0: Is how long after that question is posted do you have to wait until there will
1: probably be a response in the comments? Well it'd be really fun to look at which ones were the hardest of all before because yeah. it's because the posts get marked differently once it's been quote unquote solved, oh, exclamation cute. point. So looking at like there's a way, somehow, the data is out there that could determine which one of the pictures posted to that site took the longest amount of time before being solved, or ones that were never oh, yeah. solved. <laughs> Mysteries. Excellent. All right. So we covered the um, the findings there, the identification of the socio context of the different calls. Yep.
0: Do you need a tie into neurobio or does that come more intuitively than with cows? What do you got? Oh, uh, I I feel the same about this as I do with the cattle ones. I in both cases, I'm like, I don't know why. One needs to articulate a connection between this and NeuroBio, because it's so obvious. But yeah, brain brain make mouth go squeak. Brain make ears go... Ah. So, so brain. Uh-huh. Is that good? Is that, is that good? <laughs> <laughs> awesome, thanks. No problem. Apparently some problem. Finding out... Who the fuck organized this conference?
1: It's time for closing ceremonies. Closing ceremonies is how we end the podcast. Leah. I'm the L. <laughs> What type of takeaway do you have for the end of this podcast episode? An unprepared one. Oh, uh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you know the phrase, kill your darlings? Yes,
1: I do. In writing. What does it mean to you? It means that if you are writing a story that involves characters... If you hold some characters too close to you, make sure that nothing bad happens to them, it can actually hinder your writing. And so perhaps the best thing to do is to kill them in a storyline.
0: Uh yeah, not in real life. Kill your there should really be kill your fictional darlings. Kill your darlings on the page.
1: I wonder how many murders were just a misunderstanding. <laughs> Peter Pan was a massacre. <laughs> Until the the editor got
0: back to him, being like, "Yo, wait okay. a minute, wait yeah. a minute, Leah. Um,
1: uh, Why? P- what Peter Pan is? Does Peter Pan ever die? I oh, thought he oh, lived uh, young forever."
0: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, Wendy, darling the the darlings are the kids <gasps> in that. The dar. Yeah. I'm, okay. Um, Yay. Yeah. So yeah, whatever you're writing, you can't be too precious about it. If there's if there's something even a, even just a gorgeous phrase that you want to keep in there and it's not doing the piece any good, take it out. Yeah. It's like learning to have a discussion yeah. that's like fruitful and goes in a direction Um, As opposed to just saying everything that comes to your mind.
1: And those are your
0: darlings? The tangents? You can have some beautiful tangents that do not belong in a conversation. I know it sounds like something I don't know, but...
1: (laughs) I have learned it. <laughs> um, I usually find my darlings when I'm writing an article and I try to keep a sentence. Mm-hmm. Those are my darlings. A specific sentence that I keep on trying to change the sentences around it and not touch it. Yeah. So, what is the summary? What's the the takeaway that you're going
0: for? Uh, I have learned the second half of that sentence that works the best for me, which is mm. "kill your darlings" and then can or freeze them,
1: like, <laughs> preserve them for later. I have on the end of a lot of my stuff. It says "scraps," mm-hmm. and when I cut sentences, I'll go and I'll put them in my scraps area.
0: Kill your darlings, <laughs> save them, save their save their parts for later. Corpses. Is a lesson I've
1: been learning. <laughs> <laughs> with my
0: schmosaics, because I have a really hard time with a lot of artistic media like drawing I hate putting pen to paper because every time you make something adding the next thing also has the opportunity to disfigure the thing you've worked so hard on but I found a way around that first mm-hmm. with digital art and now with this weird plastic shit I'm doing and it has made such a difference in just my ability to make images be images and that's bled back into drawing and painting hmm. if it's a darling that needs to die it, it'll it'll die darling
1: so good talk good takeaway how about you my takeaway is you're not guaranteed an all-encompassing passionate and mutual love with another human but at the same time it's not impossible you had me in the first half tell me about the second part are you sure well there's nothing to say that it's never gonna happen when you're born you're not owed your (laughs) soulmate to come and find you somewhere that you end up on the earth but it's not as though it's Completely impossible that you'll ever find anyone that loves you with a burning passion as much as you love them. I have a friend of mine who, at the age of 39, has now discovered the person that rounds up to number one, the closest (laughs) that's ever happened for them. You're approximately my soulmate. A a beautiful 0.87.
0: Not every ligand needs to be a perfect fit into its receptor it just needs to <laughs> then stay it there for come a bit. out
1: right it would just block it yeah yeah we call yeah. i don't know in my mm-hmm. mind i don't i don't understand molecules said the molecular biologist <laughs> uh anyways it's been absolutely beautiful but at the same time i feel bad that he hadn't had it already in his life yeah sure yeah bittersweet sweet bitter it's really a beautiful thing to see him just like utterly in love and saying like this is incredible what is this and i'm like you know (laughs) wars have been fought over that feeling that neurological occurrence that's happening in your head that love occurrence people have died and killed for that
0: the 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 french are glad to (laughs) die for love no, something about that just reminds me of a conversation I was having with a friend last week about this is getting uncomfortably personal, but there are times when I feel when I have felt compelled to say I love you. Um and it in a in a in a in a romantic context, the story of me learning to say I love you in a platonic context is is delightful and fascinating in in another time. Um yep. But it's happened a couple times now where I have felt the urge to say I love you a little bit before it was probably logically a good idea to actually say the words. And so it felt exactly like vomit just coming up the other tube, you know, like Mm. the stifling, the...
1: (laughs) Nope. Yeah. And it's, can it's, I ask a, a precise question? Now, you said before it was a logical, right thing to do. Seemed a little too soon, yeah. Was that, there's two ways that you can interpret that, though. Was that because it wasn't a good idea to present that information yet, considering the feelings or the state of the relationship? Or were you not quite in love yet, but you knew you were going to get there, that really, like you were on the edge of it?
0: Which more of the former and with the latter, that gets us into the distinctions between feeling the need to say I love you and being in love. And that's a that's a whole ball of lipids. But um, (laughs) part of the reason it might be logically too soon is just because you have an impulse doesn't mean you need to follow up on that. Did you know that? Did did
1: is that? That is not what I (laughs) learned growing up.
0: Make real every passing fancy, as Maria Bamford says.
1: (laughs) If you're right, feelings don't matter.
0: What matters is that you're right. (laughs) Amen. And being right has nothing to do with feelings. Famously severable.
1: (laughs) The most popular people in the world have been scientists. (laughs) Historically.
0: And they've never had any feelings about whether they're right or wrong. Emotion and cognition, totally different boxes.
1: Please follow the show on Twitter at MisbehaviorJC and Instagram at the same time. You can find me, Amiel, at CurlsPhD for my official thing. And all the stuff that I've been writing recently has been uh, attached with at CurlsPhD. She's been writing up a storm, guys. You love to see it. Oh. Yeah. Or if you want to see the one that I don't need to be associated with my um, professional career, that is Trouble Helix with two X's. You can also check out Leah at Hawks and Socks. She is quite active on the Twitter and she will often reference things that are going on on Twitter that probably need a huge backstory before I could ever hope to understand the references. You can find her, Hawks and Socks, and that's Hawks with an X, so H-O-X-I-N-S-O-C-K-S. Thank you for allowing us into your auditory pathway, like a screeching cat that's just trying to get food. Or like an Etruscan shrew. Yes, yes. Like that, please tell your friends in that grating tone that will get them to, all right, all right, I'll download the fucking podcast. You're so annoying. tell your enemies about it too because then you'll be annoying them but don't tell your PI please subscribe to the show that is really great and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts we hope you join the club again soon
0: and don't forget to misbehave
1: when the last time
0: I saw you you wouldn't even kiss me rich guy you've been seeing must have put you down so welcome back baby to the poor side of town